the Christmas week is upon us. One of the ways I know that is because our layout in the auditorium always changes on this Sunday when the, the kids are singing. Everybody moves to this corner, which is usually empty, and there's people over here. It's, it's always a little offsetting that, that we have different layout of people. I'm used to people being in certain places. I, I, I know... This will be an enjoyable week for at least most of us, I expect, as we will be gathering with family as we head towards the Christmas day next week. We'll we'll have a number of things, though, that happened before then. I anticipate for most of us, this will be a busy week. Over the next couple weeks, as we spend this time with family and friends, it seems like we have time of rest, but we also have time of of hectingness, and it, it, it comes and goes. Most of us will have a time away from work for a while. Our schedules will adjust. We'll lose track of what day of the week it is and then suddenly find that Sunday's here again. And we may even find that we gain some well-needed rest. I see college kids back with us and it's good to have you with us and I bet you're looking forward to some well-needed rest. This really is a delightful time of year. The challenge that comes as we hit this time of year with all these activities that, that throw off our norm, that the challenge is not to lose sight of Jesus, not to lose sight of what Christmas is all about. The children have attempted to remind us of, of the purpose of the season this morning. We need to be careful that, that we retain the, the focus of Christmas. Now, amid the busyness of the week, let's keep that in front of us. To, to help us with that focus, I began last week a very short series through the, the beginning of uh, the Gospel of Matthew. In the first sections of Matthew's Gospel, he, he focuses on the coming of Christ, showing us that, that Jesus is the Christ. We, we just used Christ as a name, but it really means Messiah. The one that the Jews were looking for, the one who would be the promised king. Last week, we looked at the first 17 verses of Matthew's gospel. And, and in those verses, Matthew traces the lineage of Christ to show us that he's of the line of David. He is the, the legal right to the throne. He is the, the king, rightfully. He also descends from Abraham. And as we looked at, at that lineage, we saw many characteristics of God that are on display in those verses as God slowly worked through the, the course of history and the events that, that led up to the birth of Christ, revealing himself throughout. Matthew's goal, as he laid these things out for us, though, was primarily to show that he is of the line of the king. Last week, we learned that God reveals himself so that we will worship him. Specifically, our worship flows through Jesus Christ. As we have stated above me, our goal is to joyfully magnify Christ because that's how we worship God. This morning, we're going to turn to a text that should help us do that. Our verses this morning will focus again on Christ. We, we frequently say that the verses we're looking at this morning focus on the birth of Christ because they, they say now the birth of Christ at, at the beginning, but that's not really correct. Our, our verses, as, as the sermon title suggests, really focus on the conception of Christ. That's what they give us, the, the conception of the king. This morning is a text that, that is fairly well-known, much more well-known than the verses we looked at last week, that's for sure. Um, These verses are not quite as well known as Luke chapter 2 and 
to put a plug in for Luke chapter 2, I encourage you to come here Christmas Eve. We'll have our regular candlelight service, and as part of our candlelight service, Saturday at 5 p.m. is the reading of Luke 2. That's where we see the birth of Christ, where we see the birth of Jesus there. Luke zeroes in on that, and he looks at things from Mary's perspective. Matthew records things more from Joseph's perspective. Let's read our verses this morning. We're going to look at verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1 through the end of the chapter. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Matthew here, he lets us look through the eyes of a young man who suddenly discovers that his fiancée is pregnant, that the man knows full well he's not the baby's father, so he concludes naturally that, that the woman that he loves, this, this woman that he is engaged to, this woman has been unfaithful. As we, we read these verses, we, we should be able to sense the agony of the emotions that Joseph struggles with as, as he faces difficult, difficult question, what is he going to do about this? What is he going to do with Mary? Sadly, today, there, there really is not a lot of stigma attached to having a child out of wedlock. Our, our society has grown so promiscuous that, that there's little shame associated with an illegitimate child. We, we have lost a, a concern for, for God's design of things. An unmarried couple having a child today hardly raises an eyebrow. That was not the case when Mary was found pregnant by Joseph. An intimate relationship outside of marriage, it was considered immoral. And it constituted a scandalous act. This is the context that, that Joseph is dealing with. It was the miraculous conception of Jesus that generated Joseph's struggle. Matthew is very careful here as he, he lays out the sequence of, of events in verse 18. Mary and Joseph are, are, first of all, betrothed. In the Jewish custom of the day, that, that's a lot stronger thing than, than what we would think of as engagement. I called her his fiance, but really she's his betrothed. And, and a betrothal was considered the first step of marriage, the first part of marriage. Even though Joseph and Mary would not live together until after the wedding ceremony, and that would be some months in the future, even though any sort of a sexual relationship during this period would be improper, in the eyes of their, their society, they were legally bound to each other by the betrothal. A betrothal could only be dissolved through divorce. 
So we know they're at that stage. Matthew tells us that they're betrothed. Secondly, Matthew makes it clear that both Joseph and Mary were righteous. These are God-honoring, God-fearing young people. They, they have kept themselves pure. They had not come together. And yet, before they had come together, during this betrothal period, Joseph learns that Mary's with child. I'm sure Mary most likely, I can imagine, most likely she professed her innocence. She, she likely shared with Joseph the, the story how the, the angel Gabriel, as we learn about in Luke 2, visits her and, and tells her that she'll be with child. She, I'm, I would anticipate she shared that. I'm sure she claimed that her baby is the result of this miraculous working of the Holy Spirit. But it's clear that Joseph didn't believe her. And who can blame him? Who can blame him? Mary's story would have sounded like a a desperate plea of a guilty woman to him. Mary's story would have made no sense whatsoever. It, It wasn't until after Joseph was visited by an angel himself in a dream that he understood what really happened. And, and amazingly, as we read the, the rest of this, he was willing, after he heard of, of the angel's story here, he was willing to obey God's instruction. Even when it means living under the stigma of an illegitimate child, Joseph's willing to endure that stigma because, because he understands the Creator is entering his creation through the birth of a miraculously conceived child. Joseph is willing to instill the stigma because obeying God was more important to him than, than his own reputation. It's crucial for Joseph to understand what happened to Mary. What Matthew makes clear is that it's equally crucial for us to understand what happened to Mary. Matthew records this for us under inspiration so that we will know what happened to Mary. In fact, Matthew goes to great pains in our text to to show that the miraculous conception of Jesus was necessary. It wasn't accidental, it was necessary. It, It was necessary for two reasons. One, the miraculous conception of Jesus was necessary because of prophecy. Because of prophecy. Joseph was visited in the dream by the angel. It, it, it's unclear, actually, if the angel's words stop at verse 21 or carry all the way through verse 23. Depending on our English versions, we'll have quotation marks in different places. Some of us may have quotation marks end at verse 21, others at verse 23. In either case, either the angel is still speaking through verse 23 or Matthew under inspiration of the Holy Spirit Either way, we're told clearly that this miraculous conception took place in part to fulfill prophecy. It was happened as it happened so that prophecy would be fulfilled. Centuries earlier, God had given a prophecy concerning the birth of the Messiah. Remember the first 17 verses show us that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, one of the things prophecy told about the Messiah centuries earlier was that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. God gave this prophecy back in Isaiah's day to King Ahaz. Now, several centuries later, Mary is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Her her baby, the the baby Jesus, was the result of of the Holy Spirit causing conception within her while she was still a virgin. You have to admit, it's a rather specific 
prophecy that the baby would be born of a virgin. It's a rather incredible prophecy that the baby would be born of a virgin. There's no way that the conditions of this prophecy can be fulfilled accidentally. No virgin woman had ever given birth to a child before. No virgin woman has ever given birth to a child since. From, from a human perspective, this prophecy is impossible. Yet that's exactly what happened when Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. The angel points Joseph, and, and through Matthew's recording of this, us as well, he points us to this prophecy so that we will identify that Mary's conception is miraculous. Just as it was foretold centuries earlier. I'm not sure we really comprehend this. We hear this story every year, time after time. I'm not sure we really comprehend what it means to be miraculous. Miracles, by definition, are unusual. They're, they're supernatural. Uh, they are what we would consider impossible. I think we understand the unusual, but I'm not sure we get the impossible. I'm not sure we comprehend that supernatural enters in. So let me give us a, a, a comparison and see if it will help us a little bit. If you follow NFL football at all, you're likely aware that something unusual has been happening over the last couple of weeks. There, there's a young man, a, a third-string quarterback, who has suddenly found himself in the position of starting for the San Francisco 49ers. He, he's starting as the third stringer because... Injuries have occurred in the quarterbacks that were ahead of him. The very first NFL game he ever started happened to place him against Tom Brady as the opposing quarterback. Tom Brady is the most successful NFL quarterback ever. And this young man leads the 49ers to a stunning victory against Tom Brady's team in his very first NFL start. The, the fact that a third-string quarterback would play so well is unusual in and of itself. But what's gotten the, the most attention in the fact that this third-string quarterback is a rookie. The E was drafted this season. He's a rookie this year. He was drafted, furthermore, in the absolute last pick of the draft. The, the last pick of the draft has, over the, the years, been given a dubious distinction. The person picked in the last pick of the draft has the title of Mr. Irrelevant. That should tell you something about the expectations of the last pick of the draft. Mr. Irrelevant. In fact, that's the jersey they bring out for him when he gets that pick. Mr. Irrelevant has been picked. The last pick of the draft has been given that title because the players in that final position rarely see much playing time. In fact, historically, they have rather short NFL careers overall. Well, this young man playing now two and a half games for the, the 49ers, he's already exceeded all other combined stats of Mr. Irrelevance from years past. That shows you how extreme it is to be a Mr. Irrelevant and do something. The, the story of this young quarterback has caught a lot of attention because we understand this is an unlikely event. Things like this don't happen. There are not that many rookie third-string quarterbacks. After all, there's a lot of quarterbacks available. Usually the third-stringer might be a seasoned guy that no longer can play so much. 
there are not that many third-string quarterbacks that end up starting in NFL games. The fact that any third-string quarterback is a Mr. Irrelevant is even less probable. There is also the fact that there are not many NFL players who would start their, their first game against a great opposing player in the same position on the other team. Let Long being one of the greatest players to play the game. All of these factors combine to, to make what this young man has experienced seem absolutely incredible. Yet none of us consider this story impossible. We, we might scoff at someone who predicts that, that Mr. Irrelevant will come along and, and he'll get to play against the, the greatest quarterback who's ever played, which is what most people call Tom Brady at this point. That he'll get to have his NFL start against him and he'll go on to smashing victory. Most of us would scoff at someone predicting that. If, if we read that, we probably think we stumbled onto Hallmark plot rather than, than an actual story. This sounds like the, the kind of things movies make for tearjerkers. And yet, we can read about it in real life sports articles this week. We would doubt such things would ever occur. But we would not consider such a prediction impossible. What is impossible is that a virgin a woman who has never had intimate relationships with a man, that virgin would find herself pregnant. Joseph understood this. This is impossible. I'm sure that even the prophet Isaiah understood this when he prophesied it. This is impossible. And yet this is the prophecy that God gave through Isaiah. And the angel informs Joseph that this is the prophecy that has been fulfilled through the miraculous conception of Mary. Actually, the conception of Jesus in Mary. The miraculous conception was necessary first for the fulfillment of prophecy. But that's not the only reason that the miraculous conception is, is necessary. Number two, the miraculous conception was necessary because of salvation. Because of salvation. While the perfect fulfillment of prophecy is important, the, the real emphasis in our verses is on how this miraculous conception provides for salvation. Look at verse 21. Joseph is told that, that he's to name the baby Jesus when the baby's born because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was a rather common name at that time may not be common now, but it was common then. Jesus is simply the, the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua, and Joshua was a very common name. So while Jesus was a common name, it was also an appropriate name for this baby. Jesus, or, or Joshua, literally means God saves. Joseph was told that the baby should be named God saves because the baby was coming to save his people from their sin. Now I want to notice a couple things about what Joseph is told by the angels. Two things that are very important. First, the, the implication is we all need salvation. We all need it. The statement that Jesus will save people from their sins implies that, that we all need saving. This is a, a truth that, that we must never forget. 
the, the Bible teaches clearly that all of us need saving from our sins. Frankly, this is partly why the, the first point, the, the accuracy of God's revelation is so important. The fact that God would predict something centuries before that is impossible and bring it to fruition is to show that what God says is true. God says that we all need saving. God never lies. Even when it comes to something impossible from our perspective, what God says will happen, will happen. And God says we all need salvation. The Bible clearly teaches this throughout. Our, our natural inclination, I know, is to reject this truth. We don't want to think we need saving. We, we naturally want to think that we are good enough. That, that we can get by. Sure, we, we know some people that need saving. There's some really bad, nasty people out there. And yeah, they need saving, but, but we're pretty good. We don't want to think we need saving. Yet the Bible, God's words... The Bible puts us all into the same category. The Bible says we're all in the group that needs saving. We all have sinned. All of us have rejected God. All of us have ignored him and, and his word. In fact, our very resistance to the idea that we need saving is evidence of our rebellion against God. We don't want to listen to what he says on it. We want to come up with our own conclusions. Be independent. But God has proven that he is perfectly truthful. God has said in his truthful word that a single sin, a single lie, a single outburst of selfish anger, a single flash of road rage, a single lustful thought, a single sin of any kind makes us a sinner in need of saving. We all need saving from our sin. Joseph was told that Jesus, Jesus would save his people from their sins. We all need salvation. That's the first implication here. The, the second thing about this statement that I want us to notice, though, is that Joseph is told Jesus saves his people from their sins. His people. Look carefully there at verse 21. That's what it says. His people. Not all people. That implies that only some members of the human race will be saved. Only those people who are Jesus' people, will be saved. The, the common message that, that we often hear is that God will look favorably on those who, good things, who do good things in life. God loves people, and those who do good, God will love them because they do good. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches that it's only those who are saved by Jesus that, that God will look with favor on. You see, God normally cannot look favorably on any of us because of our sin. God is a holy God. God cannot look on us who are sinful with favor. But this is where the miraculous conception of Jesus comes into play. In verse 23, we see a very important bit of revelation about Jesus. That the son of the virgin, we're told here, will be called Emmanuel. And we're told what that means. We're told there in verse 23, that means God with us. Through the miraculous conception, God the Son, the, the second member of the triune Godhead, God the Son entered humanity. God entered his creation and became the baby Jesus. God the Son took on humanity, 
so that the baby Jesus was at the same time fully God and fully man. This is the miracle which the Holy Spirit performed in Mary when the baby was conceived. God and mankind were united in the the person of baby Jesus. Clearly, this, this makes Jesus singularly unique. He is different from every other member of the human race, even though he is part of humanity. He is also divinely God. All of his uniqueness boils down to one important aspect that the Bible emphasizes when it comes to our salvation. One critical component that is there for our salvation. Each of us are a sinner from the moment that we are conceived and we demonstrate that throughout our lives by sinning time and time again. But because of this miraculous conception, Jesus was not a sinner when he was conceived. Jesus was not because God the Son preserved the perfect holiness when he became a baby. Furthermore, the Bible goes on and demonstrates that Jesus maintained the sinless perfection throughout his life. He was never like us, so Jesus never needed to be saved from his sins. Instead, Jesus could become the Savior for others. At Christmas time, we like to focus on the birth of Jesus. We, we like to focus on the baby being born. But we're completely missing the point if we don't seriously consider the purpose of the birth. Jesus was born so they could save his people from their sins. Sin carries a horrible penalty for all of us. That's why we need to be saved. God has told us, uh, again, this is the God who is perfectly accurate in everything he says. God has told us that our sin deserves an eternity in hell, a place of ongoing suffering and anguish and pain that, that will never end, a place completely separated from God. The reality is we have no idea how awful hell will be, but the Bible describes it as eternal fire. That's the punishment that our sin deserves. That's the punishment that Jesus came to save us from. We, we miss the point of Christmas if we don't remember this is the reason he came. We also miss the point of Christmas if we don't remember what Jesus had to do to provide that salvation. I alluded to it in my prayer. Jesus didn't deserve to die because he never sinned, yet death is what happened to him. Death is as we're forced to confront at every funeral that we attend, is is a constant reminder that the sin has its grip on us. We die because of our sinful nature. But Jesus did not have to die for sin. He did not have that sinful nature. Instead, Jesus was born for the purpose of giving his life for us. He died on the cross in our place. He took our punishment Now, the question that I would hope you'd be asking by this time is this. If you're thinking, and you're analyzing this, putting this through in in your thoughts, the question that should be in your mind at this point is, if Jesus came to save his people, and if I need to be saved because I am a sinner, how do I become one of his people? That really is the ultimate question. 
How do I become one of Jesus' people? That's the ultimate question. The Bible gives the answer. We become one of Jesus' people simply by placing faith in him. Faith. By accepting that, that we're sinners, by, by acknowledging that we cannot save ourselves, acknowledging that before God and asking God to accept the sacrifice of Jesus in our place. It sounds so simple, but it takes absolutely humbling ourselves before the divine word of God to do that. The moment we ask God to accept Jesus' death as payment for our sins, God does so. The Bible assures us. At that moment, we are saved. We accept Jesus as our Savior. We become one of his people. Jesus himself has said, the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. We don't have to do anything else than come to him in faith. If we ask Jesus to save us from our sins, he will. The question is, have you done that? I said the question should be in your mind is, how do I become one of his people? The question I asked you is, have you done that? Have you become one of his people? That is, after all, why he was born. That really is why we celebrate Christmas. Look at verse 24. We're told Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Through the angel, Joseph heard what God expected him to do. And immediately he did it. Joseph no longer cared what the impact of marrying Jesus or marrying Mary would have on his reputation. He, he no longer cared about the fact that he would have what the world considered an illegitimate child. He no longer cared about any of that stigma. He took Mary to be his wife and kept her a virgin until Jesus was born because God told him to do so. Are you willing to do what God tells you to do? The instructions that God has given you and I is simple. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Do you believe in Jesus? The most basic command we have in scriptures, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If you have never done that, you can do that today. If you need to understand it more fully, talk to me after the service. My email's on the screen. Send me an email this week. Even though it's a busy week, I will find time to meet with you. Have you believed in Jesus as Savior? The miraculous conception was necessary because of salvation. We all need salvation. Jesus saves his people. Are you his the miraculous conception was necessary. It was necessary, we saw, because of prophecy, because of salvation. Two reasons it was necessary. As we get ready to leave today, the way I would bring this together and the, the take-home that I would have for us, what I would like us to walk out with taking today is this simple idea. The miraculous conception allowed Jesus to become our Savior. He could not be our Savior without the miraculous conception. The miraculous conception allowed Jesus to become our Savior. Let's take that truth into this Christmas season. Let's carry it throughout this busy week. A busy week surely does lie before us. Lord willing, it will be a fun week. We will gather next Sunday on Christmas Day itself and, and celebrate the birth of our Savior. 
It will be a time when we gather with friends and family. But let's remember the core of the holiday is the salvation that God provides through Jesus Christ. The miraculous conception allowed Jesus to become our Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning that we've been able to spend some time in your word, reinforced through songs that we've sung and the, the things that we even heard through our children this morning. All that point to the fact that Jesus came to be our Savior. Father, I pray that you would help us all to celebrate that truth today. If there is someone here that needs to accept Jesus as Savior, Father, may today be that day where they become his through simple faith in what he has done and who he is. Father, I pray for the rest of us that we would rejoice this Christmas season anew in what we have through our Savior, Jesus Christ. For he is the one that we joyfully magnify. And we pray in his name. Amen.